0: Okay, so our first speaker this morning uh, is editor of the National Pulse, Rahim Kassam, uh, making his first appearance at a Hillsdale College event, and uh, we're lo- looking forward to many more. Uh, so thank you for coming, Rahim. Uh, he first came to my attention when he was editor-in-chief of Breitbart News Network's London Bureau, and lately I've been listening to him uh, almost daily on Steve Bannon's War Room, uh, where, he, where he's a co-host. And so what happens is I'm getting ready for work in the morning and uh, I listen to usually to to one of the podcasts from the day before and um, it gets me suitably worked up about the latest liberal outrage and then I'm ready to go to work. (laughs) Uh, He previously worked at the Henry Jackson Society in London and served as senior advisor to Brexit leader, uh, Nigel Farage, who spoke a few years ago on the Hillsdale campus. Uh, He's also been a senior distinguished fellow at the Gatestone Institute a writing fellow at the Middle East Forum, and a Lincoln fellow at the Claremont Institute. Uh, You've probably seen his writing in many publications like the Wall Street Journal, The Spectator, The Daily Caller, and many others. Uh, He was formerly the editor-in-chief of Human Events, and he's the author of a best-selling book, No-Go Zones, How Sharia Law is Coming to a Neighborhood Near You. Uh, So on that uh, sobering note, Uh, His topic today is the future of anti-Trump conservatism. Please welcome to the podium Rahim Kassam.
1: Well, thank you. Thank you for the warm introduction. Thank you for having me. Thank you for getting me out of Washington, DC, quite frankly. The occupied capital of Washington, D.C., I'll I'll remind you all, I think it's day 44 now that the military uh, uh, have been called, not as an occupying force in a foreign country, not as an occupying force on behalf of the United States and its taxpayers and its citizens, but as an occupying force on behalf of the Democratic Party of America. That's what's happening. Now, I want to thank everybody who's involved in in, in, in Hillsdale. It, j- it just does such a remarkable job, and I'm so honoured to be up here. I hear there may be a cruise if this speech goes well enough. So, uh, <laughs> you know, I was texting this morning with. Um, I woke up early to watch the sunrise, and and you know, really take advantage of, of, of this beautiful country, this beautiful state in this beautiful country. It's, it's often hard to remember that it's a, it's, it's a beautiful country. When you live on Capitol Hill, which I do, 30 seconds from the dome, and 20 seconds now from razor wire and fences and long guns and this visual tyranny, this thing that they've done in order to sap the strength and the morale away from us. It's hard to remember, but it's not hard to remember when you're looking over the mountains in Arizona and when you're looking at a room like this, that this is a beautiful country. And this is God's country, and this is MAGA country. Now I was texting with Nigel this morning when I woke up. I said, I know you spoke at Hillsdale. Do you have any tips? Do you think I should say anything? He said, What's your speech about? I said, Well, it's about never Trumpism and the future of the Never Trump movement. And he replied this, and I don't he didn't tell me I could read this out, so I'm being a bit naughty here. He said, Okay, dead, over, gone, will be expunged in the primaries like the Remainers in the Tory party, now museum pieces, and hey, we did that. (laughs) So on that note, I'll take your questions. (laughs) It's pretty amazing. I mean, it's a pretty amazing summary. I I had similar in mind as the first thing I was gonna say when I came up here. I was going to say the future, the future of the Never Trump movement, there is none. There is none. And and I think we all know that deep down in our hearts. We know it when we fill rooms like this and talk to people. and, And we understand that the establishment Republican Party knows that we know the secrets now. It knows that we have bought the books. We've watched the speeches. We've sent the donations in. We've done everything we were told to do. It's the same thing where I come from. You know, when Churchill was around, the Conservative Party had a million active members. It was massive in terms of active membership in a British political party. By the time of David Cameron, this is where you boo. Um, <laughs> I'm, I'm not like Jeb Bush in that sense. I don't do the please clap, but I will do the please boo. <laughs> By the time of David Cameron, Thank you! (laughs) I forgot about that one. The Conservative Party had about 100,000 active members left. And that was just, you know, your precinct chairman and those sorts of things who are required to be members of the Conservative Party. So I've, I've seen it all before. But I have good news about that. Because guess what? Despite the Conservative Party being scarcely interested in conservatism despite the Conservative Party promoting, employing and just ardently representing the most cultural Marxist, anti-Brexit, anti-sovereignty people out there in my country. Despite that, Brexit happened. It happened. I still have to remind myself of that every day. We left the primary example, what they were using, what the globalist class across the world were using as the primary example of how globalism should look all the world round. And we happy few, we defeated them. And we defeated them fair and square. Fair and square. I didn't have Vladimir Putin on speed dial. As Louise Mensch and some of these never Trumpers profess. There was no Russian collusion. Same narratives that you heard over here were spun against us during the Brexit campaign. But now think about the other side. And, and here's the litmus test the litmus test for every single Republican that asks for your support or your vote, your check, your attendance at their events, the litmus test is simple. Is Joe Biden the president fair and square? That's the test. And anybody that will not tell you that answer should not get anything from you. Listen, you know, at the, beginning, at the beginning of last year, I started a new website because I like doing that apparently. It's called the National Pulse. And I've been, I've been through them. I've been through business partners as well. But I've been through them. And we got 10,000 views to the site in the first month. Do you know how many, how many visitors we got last month? 16 million. 16 million page views to the National Pulse last month. And why? I have a very simple phrase. I'm often heard to be screaming it on the Morton's patio in in Washington DC after a couple of Johnny Blacks. We do the news. We do the news. We don't invent things. We don't make up sources. We do the news. And people are interested in the news. Over the course of last year, we exposed something called the Transition Integrity Project. Have any of you heard of that? The Transition Integrity Project? The Transition Integrity Project was the playbook. Funded by Bill Gates, funded by George Soros. you know, all the normal stuff. We heard about it for years now. You don't need me to explain that stuff to you. But it was the playbook for the left. They told us in advance what they were going to do. And and what do we do about it? You know, we reported it. We found out. I can do the news. But I can't go into the RNC and force them to take action. I can't go into a, a, a congressman's office. Certainly can't now. I wasn't there, Your Honor. I was actually there. I was walking past. And I'll tell you that story in a bit. But I can't, you know, make them do anything about it. I can do the news. I can report what's going on. And a lot of people, a lot of you, have been so delighted to meet so many of you the last, uh, the last 24 hours. Read it, you consume it, you know it's real. We source everything, we cite everything. This isn't CNN. There aren't anonymous sources. And what did the RNC do? Frankly, what did the Trump campaign do? about the playbook that was given to them, handed to them in advance, said, we are going to cheat you out of this election. You heard what Hillary Clinton said. Joe Biden should not concede under under any circumstances. What does she know? Do we need another email leak here? Is Julian Assange listening? Because they gave it to us in advance. And so I think when we think about the Never Trump movement, I, I like to sort of apply a more a Gilbert and Sullivan approach to it. You know, whatever, no never, well, hardly ever. The Never Trump movement isn't just the people who said, I will never stand with Trump. you know, the National Review front page people. Sick of them, frankly. No, I'm sick of them, I'm sick of them. Who cares what they think? It's also the hardly ever Trump movement. It's also the people who stood with Donald Trump when it was good for them to get re-elected. When it was worth it for them to get that extra one or two points in the poll, whatever it was that they needed. That's the hardly ever Trump movement. But they should be brought into this rather large tent of never Trumpers now. And I was thinking about tents. I know it's early in the morning, you'll pardon my French, but you have the phrase outside the tent pissing in or inside the tent pissing out. Do you guys know what I mean by that? You have that phrase? Okay, good. I, but the Never Trump movement are inside the tent pissing in. <laughs> and at that point, you think, no, well, that's why the walls of the tent exist. They, that will provide me some shield if you're outside it trying to piss in, so get out. And that's what this is gonna come down to, isn't it? Is who's going to get out? Because we've heard a lot of talk on, on the MAGA side of third party, Patriot party, all of that, and I would be a, a hypocrite to stand up here and say that I, I think that doesn't work because I left the Conservative Party and I joined the UK Independence Party and Nigel Farage, and, you know, we still have a first-past-the-post system in the United Kingdom. We're not a proportionally representation system. It's not like the rest of Europe, thank goodness. Although there's an argument. But it's about whether or not they're going to leave the Republican Party, or you're going to leave the Republican Party. That's kind of the choices we're being given at the moment, the choices we're being told that we're going to have to make. And I tell you this, five seconds before I stood up here on this stage, a lady at the back said to me, hey, I've been watching the war room. Any any war room fans in here? Oh, good. Three in the front. (laughs) Said I've been watching the war room and I hear you had this guy, Dan Schultz on. And Dan Schultz has been on talking to people about how many empty precinct things there are for people to go in and be representatives in the Republican Party, official holders in the Republican Party. Some people don't even know this exists, that you then choose how the RNC is run. Somebody said, I I applied, and and, and I'm in. I'm already in. This is happening all over the place. 50% of these positions around the country are empty right now. So my take on all of this, having lived The Tory party, UKIP struggles, because let's be honest, the UK Independence Party was more than anything a check, a balance on Cameron's Tories. The UK Independence Party grew the most, I was saying this last night, grew the most in the year that David Cameron championed gay marriage. It wasn't actually anything to do with Brexit. And I was thinking about it last night. I was saying, wow, without gay marriage, Brexit may never have happened. Without David Cameron having ostracized and, and, and pushed half of his party faithful out and into the arms of the UK Independence Party, we would still be in the European Union. Look, I think you have to try first. The Republican Party is, is, is your high ground right now. I'm not saying that it has any moral high ground in and of itself. Of course it doesn't. That comes from you, right? You are the ones who give it its moral purpose. But it's the high ground in politics because it has the established frameworks, everything, everything you need to do and need to accomplish in politics. Now, look, it may be the case that you end up not being able to do it. And we get all of these precinct chairs in and, and, and it doesn't go anywhere. But it's more useful to take this party over because we can and we have the numbers and we have the bodies and we have the moral imperative than to split right now and then to fissure off. But that does not mean compromising with the never-Trumpers. It means they have to leave the tent. I'm tired of their pissing. (laughs) frankly <laughs> no I, i'm sorry cuz that's what it is you know it's it's it, what they do is vile and i think we've all come to learn that in the last couple of weeks specifically with regard to the lincoln project no i, I was i was made aware of some of the allegations in the early part of last year and we tried like hell to get somebody to go on the record, to get somebody to speak out, to write an affidavit, to do something, a statement, anything, to make sure that this vile cast of characters, I mean, these people who have filed through these very rooms, begged us to buy their books, everything, everything, trust, right, trust, They asked for the trust, and we gave the trust. These vile individuals should have no place ever, ever again in the conservative movement. And never, never, never Trump, never Trump. Right? That's, that's what we're dealing with here. Never Trump is not about Donald J. Trump. I am incredibly grateful for Donald J. Trump, the man. I think he is a phenomenal character. Shall I tell you, it was when Nigel and I went to meet him. Do you want that story very quickly? No? <laughs> very quickly. deviation. So uh, it's two days after the 2016 election and Nigel and I are in New York and we're going to see Bannon in the Trump campaign office. And Kellyanne walks past and she sees Nigel and she goes, oh my goodness, it's Nigel Farage. Would you like to come and see the president-elect? Nigel said, yeah, I think that'd be quite nice actually. (laughs) So we get whisked upstairs and there's just these—you've seen them—these two massive golden doors. Except they're not golden on the other side. And your secret service agent bangs on the door, and it swings open, and there is a jacket jacketless Donald Trump. I mean, he's massive. I mean, I'm only five He's massive to me. And he looks at Nigel, and he says, "There he is." gives him a bear hug, lifts him off the ground, he's hugging him like this, and we're all just watching it. It was absolutely amazing, and the first thing he said to us when we sat down in his apartment with him, he looked at us. It reminds me of what Douglas Shone, his his impeachment two lawyer, um, said yesterday, that the media portrayal of him is completely wrong. He looked at us, the first thing he said was, is this a big deal? And you know, I think Nigel looked at him and said, is, is, sorry, uh, Mr. President-elect, is what a big deal? The election, is the election a big deal? Yes, sir, it's a rather big deal. <laughs> so don't get me wrong, I, I love Donald Trump. When I left that apartment that day, I walked up to him right at the end, and I said to him, Mr. President-elect, I couldn't ask you a cheeky favor, could I? And he turned to me and he goes, what's a cheeky favor? I said, well, look, your predecessor remove the bust of Winston Churchill from the Oval Office. And it would just mean a lot to me personally if you would think about putting it back. Nigel chimed in. He said, yeah, that would mean a lot to us. And Donald Trump looked at us. The president-elect looked at me and he said, would that mean a lot to you? I went, yes, sir, it would. He goes, would it mean a lot to your country? I said, yes, it would. He goes, it's done. And of course, day one, it was done. So... The man, of course, is incredible, but Never Trumper isn't just about Donald Trump. Donald Trump would tell you it's not about Donald Trump, it's about this room. It's not even about this room, it's about your children and your children's children. They're not trying to convert you guys to thinking that it's all right for a boy to run track against a girl. They're trying to groom your children like John Weaver, these sick people, these sick people, the Never Trump movement is about never nationalism, it's about never patriotism, it's about never populism, it's about never a fair shake for the ordinary person ever again, it's about, it's about losing, it's actually about losing. It's about delivering victory for progressives over and over again. It's not about principles. They use that word, don't they? They always say principles. We live by our principles. The only principle Rick Wilson has is losing. He is a loser. (laughs) And it is incumbent upon you from a messaging perspective and to cleanse the party of these morons It is imperative that you brand them as losers. What is Donald Trump so good at? Is branding people, right? Giving people the names. They are losers. Repeat. And they know they're losers. They know they're losers. Look at them. They stand together, and they're like this, and they're little, you know, it's it's awful. They don't look like, you'd never want to go into the trenches with them. This is upside down. It's a metaphor. It is, it is, the Never Trump movement is the America Loser movement. It is designed to be that way and it is designed to hand the progressives victory upon victory upon victory and look at what it's done to the contemporaneous party. There are lots of people in the party and on Capitol Hill that I can still get along with, and there are some great firebrands. Matt Gates, Paul Gosar, you know, there are, there are some people out there that we can still trust, and yes, applaud, and, and, and ch- as Trump said on the ellipse that morning, cheer on. He said, we're going to cheer them on. Didn't say we're going to smash the windows in, right? Go and peacefully protest. Make your voices heard. He's an insurrectionist! The madness of this thing. The mad. I mean, imagine how, Does anybody live in Washington, D.C., by the way? Anybody here? Has anybody lived in Washington, D.C. in the past? Has anybody who has lived in Washington, D.C. in the past been recently with all of the, the razor wire and everything? Nobody? It's stunning. It's stunning in person. Designed to sap our strength and our character away from us and we do also have to deal with the individuals and I'm glad that Donald Trump himself recently showed this and is leading by example in this regard you know everyone wants to file through Mar-a-Lago now and kiss the ring because they know that Donald Trump the man and the ex-president is more popular than any single other who do you want running the party Donald J Trump or Mitch McConnell It's a no-brainer. So of course, Kevin McCarthy goes there, and they're all filing through to kiss the ring. Now, you know who wouldn't take a meeting with Nikki Haley? Nikki Haley. Would not take a meeting with Nikki Haley. <laughs> it, that's important. That shows where we're going. That shows where he wants to take the party, and it is the right direction. Look, Nikki Haley isn't exactly the the most the, the largest looming threat, but it's what she represents. This is the old neoconservative way of thinking. Let's go to war with Iran. It wasn't just a couple of years ago. We were still hearing that drumbeat from John Bolton. War with Iran. So, sorry, why? War with Iran. Yeah, but why? Nobody could ever explain it. And look at how they reacted. Not to the fact that their policies weren't enacted, but to the fact they were asked the question and couldn't answer. How did John Bolton react to that? He wrote that book, right? Still sitting on my bedside table. I I think I did the first three pages of it, got bored. That's the same as the first three minutes of a John Bolton speech. Um, (laughs) (laughs) Cheap shot. sorry. There, There has to be also this, Admission on our side that we have done some things wrong. We've done some really stupid things, actually. You know, t- some of the things that actually happened around the time of the Tea Party. I was in my mid-twenties back then. I was super jazzed about it. You know, the Telegraph of London wrote an article that Raheem Kassam was starting a British version of the Tea Party. Without irony, <laughs> by the way. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> Thanks, Mum. I was jazzed about it, but a lot of the arguments we heard at the time were about corporate America, right? And and a lot of arguments in defense of corporate America that were had at the time. I I went back and I listened to Rush Limbaugh's 2009 CPAC speech yesterday. It's, It's phenomenal for those of you who haven't heard it or haven't heard it in a long time to go back and listen to it. And there was a part in there where it was just a long defense of corporate America. And I was thinking to myself, man, if only we knew, if only we knew... Now look at Time, so I'm jumping around here a little bit, but there's there's quite a lot going on. Time Magazine. Do you guys see that? Time Magazine? So Time Magazine, after, by the way, the National Pulse does all of the things last year, walking through everything, not just us, by the way, great people over at Revolver.News and all of these other sites springing up now that are walking people through the strategy, the playbook that's being run on us, Time magazine comes out last week. Yeah, it was true. We did do that. Excuse me, what? I thought I was a lunatic conspiracy theorist. I was leaning into it, frankly. Now you're coming out and you're saying that everything was correct? That there was cooperation between the Chamber of Commerce and the AFL CIO to stitch up the election with the Zuckerberg, you know, did you guys see Phil Klein, Phil Klein? And the marvelous people at the, um, uh, uh, what is the organization called? You're going to remind me. The Phil Klein Group, the Amistad Project. The Amistad Project. They warned in advance that Mark Zuckerberg was plowing money into the Democrat places to get people's votes churned out more effectively. I put a team of statisticians together immediately after the election. They told us day one, no chance. No chance any of this is real. But we've made, some, we've made some glaring errors here, and corporate America is one of them. The idea that corporate America was somehow, some way, if we went to bat over taxes or something, that they were gonna have our backs on all of the woke cancel culture stuff. We kind of might have wanted to see that one coming. And so we have to do some soul searching. I have to do some soul searching. You know, uh, when I was being introduced, they said, uh, Rahim used to work at the Henry Jackson Society. I did, I did, out of college. I worked at the Henry Jackson Society. The Henry Jackson Society was a neoconservative think tank that wanted to bomb everything. So believe me, I am not up here to lecture. Oh, technically I am. Um, (laughs) But this is a soul searching of all of us. Is why did we do that and how do we not make that mistake again? There are going to be people in here who feel like, rightly feel like, what's the point in voting in two years' time? What's the point in trying to win back the House? What's the point in the sense that they will steal it anyway, wherever they can? And what's the point? Because what did we do with the power of the House of Representatives, the Senate, and the White House? What's the point, is the question. And the point can only be found when you take over the Republican Party. Not when you send the Republican Party letters of complaint. Strongly worded letter to, to, to Ronna McDaniel. It's not gonna do it anymore, it's not gonna cut it. Calling the congressman is not going to cut it anymore. It's about action. There'll be people in here who've done it, many people in here who've done it, many people who've been at a more grassroots level, at a more intricate level on this than I have. And I personally, after this, would like to hear all of your stories, because I have, you know, the National Pulse, we have a private chat group for our members that support us. We don't take any corporate money, we don't take any billionaire money, we are people-funded, and we have a private chat group for the people that give five bucks or ten bucks. And they come in, and it's a constant chat room, right? And I know they're watching this, so I'm giving them a shout-out. But they, they want action steps. They don't want whining steps. And so it's, it's bizarre to me. I mean, I don't know if anybody in this room knows my colleague at the National Pulse, Natalie Winters, and her reporting. On the, on the, she does a lot of reporting on the Chinese Communist Party. It's the best reporting you'll see. And Matt Gates, Congressman Gates, came up to me the other day. He said, man, you've broken more stories than I can, you know, think any other conservative outlet's done. Isn't it really weird that we, Natalie's 19. She, he said, you've got a foreigner and a teenager... <laughs> ...running an American news site that gets 16 million views. Isn't that wild? Isn't that bizarre? And it comes back to this, again, institutional knowledge. Like I say, there will be people here that have done it, that have lived it, and I need that. I need you to talk to us and I need you to give that information because we have a whole new army of people out there who are willing to take action and willing to be engaged. This thing, let me tell you, let me tell all the never-Trumpers out there I'll look down the barrel of that lens and tell all the never-Trumpers and the Democrats and this illegitimate White House that the demoralization effort is not working and will not work. If anything, if anything, people are more fired up now than ever before. Guess why? You can see the wizard now. You can see the wizard now. It's on the front page of Time magazine. You know, I haven't even written this story up yet, but do you know most reporters, political reporters, are members of the WGA East Union. That is an affiliate of the AFL-CIO. That means the political reporters reporting about the election, and crucially, the steal, and calling us nutjobs and seditionists and insurrectionists and all that, the reporters are members of the union that collaborated with the Chamber of Commerce as admitted to in Time magazine. Can you believe that? Well, of course you can. But the fact that nobody tells these stories the fact that the ordinary, ordinary members of the public are not aware of the ingrained, the ingrained, it's built in to the system, the way the thing works, that the journalists are part of the union that did the grubby deals to steal the election in the first place. You hear from people who aren't as politically wonky as we are in this room, who say, well, but I haven't seen any real evidence, you know, in the Associated Press or anything like that. Because the Associated Press reporter, I'll tell you what, okay, I was going to give you one example, I'll give you another, the hard drive from hell, Hunter Biden's hard drive. Serious question, is there anybody in this room, and be honest, nobody's going to attack you, I promise, be honest, is there anybody in this room who believes that hard drive is not real? Okay, good. Stand down. Raheem to Shaman, Raheem to QAnon Shaman, stand down. By the way, how about that? That's that's the guy that they're they're telling us impeachment too. Remember the planned insurrection, the planned insurrection idea that what they're trying to convince the world of is that Donald Trump was relying on the shaman. To hold, not just take the capital, but to hold it. <laughs> that was the big plan. So the hard drive from hell, I've, I, I had it. I had it since, I would say day one, but day four, after that New York Post story first came out. We got a copy. We went through all of it. I don't know if you remember the audio of Hunter Biden talking about his relationship with the quote, effing spy chief of China. Do you guys hear that one? That's audio. You got i see her shaking her head there. It's exquisite. It's astonishing. This would be front page news in any reputable journalistic outfit. That the former, that the son of the former vice president and the man running for office is talking about his connections with the effing spy chief of China in his own words on audio that I personally pulled out of his voice notes on his MacBook. And they told us it wasn't real. They told us it was Russian disinformation. I'm listening to it. We put the audio out. And then I started to get some phone calls. And one was from a chap at, uh, I don't know if I'll give this away because it uh, he might get fired if I tell you. He's at a very establishment news outlet in Washington DC, <laughs> Politico. So I've got that COVID. <laughs> um, I don't. <laughs> so he, he texts me. He goes, can I come over? Can I can I look at this hard drive? I said, yes, you can come and look at the hard drive. <laughs> and he, come, he comes into my office and I sit him down with the laptop and I say, have at it. He goes, you don't want to you don't want to like watch over me, make sure I'm looking at the right stuff. I said, it's all yours, and if you want to walk out of here with a copy of it, fine. He goes through it. I said, have you any doubt now? Is it a hard drive, or is it a hard drive? He said, no, it's real. To be fair, he said, no, it's real, it's real. I said, great, when are you going to write a story about it? He looked me dead in the eye. He said, I'd like to, but there's no way in hell my editor's going to publish that. And that was it. He spent the day going through the real evidence of corruption at the very top of the Biden mafia. Saw it with his own two eyes, a reporter, and decided he wouldn't even bother to try to file a story because he knew his editor wouldn't accept it. This is what we're up against. Now, I know. The topic of this is the the Never Trump movement. But in order to effectively remove the Never Trump movement from from within the tent, and I know we've, we've all heard it, I mean, I've been going to these events, these conferences, I've been sitting in these seats, I've been listening to some just amazing people. I remember being at CPAC around Andrew Breitbart and Rush Limbaugh. I was a kid and listening to these men and thinking to myself, by the way, as a Brit, from West London, who was born into a Muslim family. Don't worry, I got out of that. <laughs> the Muslim, not the family. Still, still good with my family. Who, you know, I went to one of the worst universities in the country. I had no leg up. There was, no, you know, no silver spoon, nothing. And I got to listen to these men. And I just thought to myself, wow, these guys are nuts. These Americans are nuts. What are they talking about? Guns and stuff. And then slowly, day upon day upon day, as I began to see what was happening in my country and what Sadiq Khan has done to my London, I started to realize the Americans are not crazy. It's the rest of the world that's crazy. And it it really is. And what stops? The globalists. Now, what is there to stop? There's quite a lot. It's manpower in this room, it's the brain power in this room. And it's, frankly, the dollar power we all have. One of the things that we're gonna be working on a lot over the next couple of weeks is a list of organizations and entities that, frankly, people should never frequent ever again. Did you? (laughs) There are a lot of people I talk to and they feel uncomfortable with me talking about canceling companies and people. I would cancel John Weaver and Rick Wilson in a heartbeat. And I will happily cancel any of these big corporate entities and institutions that continue to do business with the Chinese Communist Party while screwing the ordinary American. I will cancel you. And we will. We should. We have to fight fire with fire at this point. This my principles thing from the McMuffins, the Evan McMuffins, and these guys. It's a ruse to make you lose. They are in the business of managed decline, ladies and gentlemen. They are in the business of selling the country out. Because guess what? It's pretty lucrative. Does anybody know how much the Lincoln Project raised? 90 million? 90 million you know what my budget is? You know what the National Pulse's annual budget is? It's $350,000 a year. And the Lincoln Project's running around with $90 million. Frankly, the Heritage Foundation is running around with $80 million. What are they doing with that? Where is the action from these organizations that have taken our cash and our capital and our time for decades and built these big buildings, beautiful buildings, by the way, great building. Maybe we can use that as the gulag. (laughs) I'll use the little terrace, right, outside the chairman's office. But, and I'm not saying everybody at Heritage is bad, of course that's not true, but where is the bang for the buck? There hasn't been any, has there? Where throughout this whole thing were the the, series of white papers from these intellectuals, these Republican intellectuals up on Capitol Hill? They didn't exist. None none of them ever happened. They took your money, and they said, screw you. Screw them. And we're going to do it. And it starts with your dollar power. These companies, these corporates, these think tanks, these congressmen, every single person that failed to stand up the never-Trumpers and the hardly-ever-Trumpers. I will quote Andrew Breitbart. War. Thank you. Thank you. Now, the disclaimer for uh, Media Matters and YouTube is that war is a metaphorical word. And please don't take down Hillsdale College's YouTube channel as a result of that. Um, I'm happy to take questions. Happy to go as long as you guys want. Um, I think there are microphones here. So uh, anybody who has questions, comments, criticisms, style tips? Yes, thank you, uh, Mr. Gassam.
0: We now have time for Q&A. Raise your hand, and uh, please wait for a mic.
1: Raheem, thank you very much for coming to Arizona today. Please come back. Uh, One of the Achilles heel of the Republican Party in our state is many Republicans have never read the book of Hosea in the Bible, the Old Testament. My people are destroyed for lack of knowledge because they reject the truth. Would you mind taking the time, going over your website so people can write them down and talk about Steve Bannon, what he's doing also, so that people leave here, they can pass this information on to their friends and their relatives and their contacts. Please take the time. It's my PR guy over here. Thank you for the... uh... (laughs) Well, the website. Very quickly, the website is thenationalpulse.com. Like I say, we do real news and investigations. I always say, and I have a podcast that we just launched as well, and I do that every day. Uh, in fact, one of the I forgot to bring the the XLR cables. That's the cables in here that connect the microphone to the soundboard. And one of the things that struck me about, because I don't drive, I grew up in London, then I moved to DC, I didn't never needed to drive, you could walk everywhere. And I forgot my XLR cables when I came here uh, to do my podcast. And so I said to my friend who's with me, I said to him, look, I'm just popping down to the guitar shop to get some XLR cables. He said, this is Arizona, you're not popping anywhere. You're out for an hour at least. And sure, he was right, I went down for an hour, came back, it was a long old time. Uh, So we've got the podcast now, it's at thenationalpulse.com. And of course, uh, Steve Bannon's War Room, War Room Pandemic, uh, War Room Impeachment as it began, is a daily show on americasvoice.news. And you know, these are the things, actually it's such an important question, in a, in, a, in, in a non-PR for Rahim way, because there are organizations, institutions that are just plowing head first into this fight. I mean, Real America's voice as a, as a news channel is you know, all day long, real news, real news, real news. It's the same with John Solomon and, and justthenews.com, revolver.news, there are all of these people willing to step into this void that has been left by these morons and these never-Trumpers and hardly ever-Trumpers and all in the national review types. I'll say it again. Screw National Review. We don't need it. We don't want it. Shred it. Cancel your subscriptions. There's no point. They're never coming back to you. They hate you.
2: Thank you. <laughs> we have a question to the speaker's right. Hi. Hi. Thank you for your courage and your energy. It is infectious. And may um, God continue to be with you. I think he's working through you and Steve and Natalie and everybody else. So thank you. Um, my question is, I think many of us, Feel like and believe that uh, we did what we were supposed to do. This last election, we we got out, we voted, and I believe it was outright stolen. Mm-hmm. I mean, there's plenty of evidence out there, regardless of um, the naysayers. And moving forward, we're told get out there and vote. But I think, at least I believe, and I think there's many that believe like I do that unless there's a fundamental change in our election system that we will be faced with what we are facing. I think that this has been a gradual frog in the water where our elections have been being stolen for many years. And I know that's true in Arizona with early mail-in voting and so forth. Um, so what is your suggestion as we move forward to make sure that our votes do count and that the people and the issues that we believe in and that we vote for in, you know, basically are in fact yeah. Uh, accomplished Um, because I think that many of us are very frustrated and and there's a lot of people that are very uh defeated and saying you know what we I mean look at Georgia we can do everything right and yet here we are anyway thank you thank you
1: well that was um that was actually what Hillary Clinton said remember she said after the 2016 election she said you can do everything right but they can still steal it from you now of course the fact of the matter was nobody stole that election from her. She was a fundamentally unpopular person, right? She was so just... just. I mean, I, I still remember the day she got up there and said, racist, homophobic, xenophobic, big basket of deplorables. And, of course, what did the rest of the country do? They stuck deplorables on their hats and their shirts and their... You know? And this time, you go around this time and you look at it, and the Time magazine... What, is, what, was, what was it, like 12,000 words or something? I mean, it was in your face. We stole it from you, and there's nothing you can do about it. That's, that's where this sense of despondency comes from, right? But you look at me. I mean, I've been living and breathing this now. I'll tell you a story I've never told. I've got a lot of stories. I'll tell you a story I never told anybody. It might get me in some trouble. Don't worry, I won't get Hillsdale in trouble. So I went to uh, the Philadelphia campaign office, the day after the election. And I, uh, I had this team of statisticians that we were putting together, like I said, who put all these graphs for us together and stuff that I don't even really understand, technical detail, modal, I don't know. And I'm trying to find somebody to hand this to and to give this contact list to so that they can work with these statisticians. Two things. Number one, I asked, Who is the Pennsylvania election law lawyer in this building? We don't have one. The day after the election in Philadelphia at Trump campaign HQ, we don't have one. And number two, you know what they said to me? Get out. We don't want your statisticians. We don't want your reports. We don't need your help. Get out. And I left. We published all of those things. Subsequently, in the days after that, we published them on the website so that anybody could go through them and pick holes in them if they wanted to. Look, there's a reputable bunch of PhD scientists coming together to say that the American election was stolen. I think that's newsworthy. And we put it all out there. But, the, I, you know, the time and the effort that was lost as a result of this fecklessness within the GOP, you know, within their apparatus... We don't have a Pennsylvania election lawyer at the the campaign HQ. So, believe me, I, I have lived and breathed every single second of this steal. I read the book Ballot Battles by Edward Foley, the professor that was being marched out everywhere before the election, who was out there prepping people to think that, hey, actually, we have to wait until all the votes are counted, not all the legal votes. Just all the votes are counted, whether they come in on time, whether their signatures match. I went through all of it, the Transition Integrity Project stuff. I even went back and showed how a professor at the University of Liverpool, not exactly a frothing at the mouth right-wing bastion, the Council of Europe, ditto, the civil service in the British government had all laid out that when you open up your system to mass mail-in voting, you get mass mail-in voting fraud. Every single time in every single country in the world. Every single time. So I've lived through it and I have lost, lost sleep, lost friends. Uh, Look, is there anybody in this room? And again, I've got the shaman here. But is there anybody in this room who genuinely believes that Trump just lost? Just fair and square lost? We all know, we all know, any rational, reasonable person knows that whether it was the rules changes, you know, like Steve Bannon always says on the show, Dominion voting system is a free option. That's something we can look at when we need to look at it. Everything, single other thing that they did was enough. To steal the election. My answer to your question is there has to be a coming together of Republican governors across the country, and Republican attorneys general across the country, who reject the uses of these systems again, but it has to be done in tandem, in unison. Look at what happens, you can apply this to almost anything, but look at what happens, are you following this, Australia standing up to big tech right now, have you seen this? But look at what happens when they act almost completely in isolation to do that. Big tech has removed Australia. <laughs> that is actually something that has happened. You cannot get information from Australian news sources on Facebook anymore because they're in this fight with the country of Australia. Australia. And if Australia had worked in unison with others, and if we came together as groups, we could take... These companies are bigger than countries. They know the power they wield. And the very same thing applies. It cannot just be one governor somewhere. It cannot just be one attorney general somewhere. It's not going to be enough to stand up to this stuff. Yes, we will have a sanctuary state... For Trump supporters in Florida, that's what we'd end up with, if it's one at a time. But it's having these people come together. The American Principles Project. Does anybody know the American Principles Project? So APP is a phenomenal organization. It's based out in Virginia, and it is going to be announcing over the next couple of days, I hope in the next couple of days, my friend Terry Schilling runs it, in the next couple of days, a unified movement from governors, Republican governors across the country to stop boys pretending to be women and running in women's sports. And you know what? That's the kind of unity I can get behind. That's the kind of unity we need. And that's what we need to avoid this situation in the future. I've talked about the litmus test. The litmus test is for every single person running for these positions, and even if they're in these positions now, they have to be tested and told. If you do not, it's a struggle session, right? They wanna put us through struggle sessions, let's put them through struggle sessions. Say it was stolen, say it was stolen. They're always telling us, right? You heard, you heard from the Democrat House impeachment managers, that the National Guard will not go away until Trump says it wasn't stolen. Did you hear that? He just slipped that in, admitting the political partisan nature of that fraudulent impeachment. So they want to put us through struggle sessions. Let's put them through some struggle sessions. I think they're choosing the the questions out there. So get their attention.
2: Uh, thank you again, Mr. Kassam. That's all the time we have today. Oh,
1: well, I'm sorry. Uh, I'll, I'll be hanging around, so any other questions, please come and see me. Again, thank you to Hillsdale. Thank you so much for your hospitality. I hope you enjoyed. Cheers.
0: Have a great day.